Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren, and I manage the Adulting is Easy blog and podcast, which can be found at realadultingiseasy.com and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Please take a second and hit the follow button wherever you're listening if you can safely do so. I'm joined today by Michelle Jackson. Michelle doesn't consider herself a financial expert. Instead, she calls herself an expert at having financial conversations. Her goal is to help people better their finances one conversation at a time. Michelle is the founder of the award-winning Michelle is Money Hungry podcast and website and the author of an upcoming book, Not a Financial Unicorn. She's also the current host of the Plutus Foundation podcast. When she's not talking money, you'll find her roaming around her home state of Colorado. Thanks for joining me, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So our goal for today is to make adulting a bit easier for listeners by discussing a personal finance topic, since managing money is a big part of adulting. So today, Michelle, you and I are going to talk about shame and empathy within the personal finance space. But first, if you wouldn't mind, please tell us, how did you become interested in personal finance to start with? It all started when I was seven. Uh, which is kind of funny. I wasn't going to share this story, but when I was seven, my parents divorced. And um, I guess children notice things. And I actually ended up ha having to work on a book. So my first book was written when I was seven. And um, my mom still has this book, by the way, and it was called <laughs> The Biggest Snail in the World. And the snail had two little babies that uh, roamed around inside her shell. And she had two tunnels in her shell. Uh, one tunnel had silver and the other had gold. And so I think in my child's mind, there was like this analogy around having endless wealth and just money available to them so that they weren't poor. And fast forward many years <laughs> and money was always a, an issue in my home. And it's interesting because I lived in a very, very, very nice town, very well to do. One of the best towns in the United States, to be honest, I was never hungry. It was never like that, but the, the financial security that I experienced was at a cost to my mother in terms of lots of work and stress and anxiety around, am I going to be able to support myself and my daughter with the income that I'm making, even though I'm trying to better my life and get a college degree and that kind of thing. So that was what I observed with my mom. You wrote a book I'm, at seven? Oh yeah, because the, the school made us write books. The school made you write a whole book? We had to read books and summarize them. I remember no, we that. did that too, but I mean, this is Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> so there's a lot of like experiential learning and things like that, that they still do to this day. Um, <laughs> I, I will also say that I, in fourth grade, like, you know how people have the a whole argument around, don't give participation medals and, and ribbons. My mom still has my participation ribbon for, <laughs> for a, a race that I ran because we all ran a race. So I'm okay, guys. I'm still competitive. Anyway, <laughs> the, the point is this. Money always factored in my observations around my life um, and, and the ease or lack of ease that I was experiencing as a result of being a child in a divorced home. And there are a lot of statistics around women and poverty 
um, and what happens when they divorce. And, and that definitely was an issue in terms of, of uh, financial stress in my home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And that, that that is very interesting and that you were able to see as a child the anxiety that your mother went through. When did you learn to manage money? Was it from her? Was it from your was it from your snail book? <laughs> what do you mean when did I learn? That's still a process, Lauren. Right. Okay. Like that that is um I am still learning how to manage money and there there are a couple of reasons why. I laugh at this question because to me managing money is like learning a language. There are levels, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like the basic just basic budgeting, there's savings, there's investing. For those of you who are in the crypto curious space, there's learning <laughs> about crypto. Everyone always laughs about crypto, but you know, it could be bull crap or it could be something. I don't know, but it, I'm learning the language around that. Like, so for me, there's, there, there's, um, investing, uh, in terms, uh, in terms of real estate, which is what you do, like actual physical properties or REITs, I think it is, you know, like there's just so many things that you can learn around money, ESGs and, and, and equitable investing. So for me, yes, I, I have basic ish skills ranging on intermediate, but I don't consider myself advanced level. And so I'm constantly learning how to manage my money, even though I am Jeanette's. Um, And quite honestly, there's policy that impacts my ability to manage my money, right? Absolutely. So so this is why I kind of laugh, because it's an ongoing process is my point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I suppose the better question would be, did you ever realize that you needed to learn to manage money? Oh, Yes. I mean, intuitively, most people are like, well, you should manage your money well. But there's a difference when you are under earning and and financially overextended and you're getting calls and collections and all that kind of thing. And so for me, what was really interesting was that I got a lot of messaging in the home around being a good worker. This is very, very, very uh, interesting to me. Like, it's always like, be a good worker, be ethical, show up, do your best. Um, In the financial management, like the management of money conversation, there were things missing. Uh, So it was like, work hard, but the, the conversation didn't extend to this is how you manage your money. Uh, these are the tools to use, that kind of thing. So when I had a financial mess, there there eventually just was a point where I was like, I've got to do something about this. This is driving me crazy. This is not how I want to live. But I will say that there are a lot of people where they just get used to it. Uh, after paying off all the debt that I paid off, I absolutely understand why people don't find, don't tackle their finances. Because it's just a level of like commitment, time and introspection that that's hard to do, especially with all the other things going on. So like right now, we are literally recording during a global pandemic of all things. Never on my bingo card did I think, you know what, global pandemic, uh huh. <laughs> like that was not on my list. And so I do have a lot of um, empathy for people 
who are just like, this is just how it's going to be. Yeah. So I totally get it. So this financial mess that you were in, I love those words that you used, commitment, time, and introspection. And that's what it takes to dig out of this debt hole that you can find yourself in. And a lot of people do. And a lot of people start there. How did you do it? How did you eventually pay it off? So, by the way, I still have student loans. (laughs) Um, So what happened was that I, again, I was a great worker, but I had bad financial management skills. I didn't have those skills. And so I would just spend money and it was just like willy nilly just, and some of it was on necessities Mm -hmm. and some of it was on want. So it was like, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Um, I also learned that not every financial tool is for everyone, which is something that I think not enough people in the personal finance space talk about. Mm -hmm. So I am not anti-credit cards, but I'm kind of anti-credit cards for me because credit cards are like Target. (laughs) So so like I will go into a Target and I'm like, you know what? I need to go to Target and I need to buy some dishwashing liquid and toilet paper. Like literally that's on my list on my paper before I go inside Target. (laughs) Three, Three hours later, I come out. I've got a maxi dress, Black Girl Magic Wine. I've got toilet paper. I always end up with thank you cards, a pair of shoes, like it just goes <laughs> crazy. And I don't even remember what happened. So that is kind of what happens with me and credit cards. Like it's just a financial tool that I don't need to really be using. <laughs> but so the thing was when I paid off the debt, it was just such a mess. It was just such a mess. And this is the other issue, which is in the personal finance space, no one talks about debt complexity. So for me, I had this really like it wasn't $60,000 for me was a lot of money. But there are other people who owe a hell of a lot more than that. But when you owe $60,000 in unsecured debt in various ways to, to numerous entities, that is very, very, very scary, very dis- just difficult to keep track of. It was just a mess. So there were like credit cards, there were people that I owed, there were like, it, like, it was just a mess. And so what I did was one day I just was like, I don't know what's happening. Everything's crazy. I'm getting all this mail. I'm getting calls. I'm getting text messages. I'm getting emails. Like it was just a lot of collection activity because I had a lot of little bills um, in retrospect, but at, owed to a lot of different people at various stages of the collections process or barely barely hanging on to being uh, in good standing. And Mm -hmm. so one day I was just like, you know what, I, I don't know what, what I need to do, but I just have to get started. And so a lot of people will say, Oh, you know, like I created this like really super intentional spreadsheet. And I did all these things. I just was like, that bill is $47. And that's all I got right now. Like, because I also was under earning, which impacted a lot of what was going on. And so I just, made a list. It wasn't necessarily organized or anything. I was like, here's my list. Cause I was tired. Like I was emotionally tired. <laughs> yeah. I feel like here's my list. And then what I did, which sounds so woo woo was I just, I did an energetic repayment process. <laughs> and by what, by that, what I mean, I did grow up in Boulder and Denver, Colorado. So this shouldn't surprise you that woo woo, but, uh, I literally was like, how does this bill make me feel? 
how easy is it for me to get rid of this thing? Um, how long will it take for me to take care of this? And I just got started. So some things I was just like, wow, that's only $47. Let's just get rid of that. And then there were other bills where I was like, these people that I'm dealing with who are collecting are so scary to me that I need them to be out of my life as quickly as possible. Or um, other, so I never sat there and thought, well, this is the percentage that I owe on the debt or blah, 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 none of that. I just really went with, how does this make me feel? How easy is it for me to manage this? How quickly can I get it done? That was it. And then um, over time, as, as the bills started to drop off, like it took a while for me to really notice a difference. Just so much collection activity. Um, but I just kept going, going for it and just working on it. And it was very slow and steady. And what a lot of, I, I hate that I've just used this phrase three times in a row, but I'm going to say it. What a lot of folks in the personal finance space don't talk about is financial momentum or goal, goal momentum. And so there was just a point where things just started to speed up. And even though it took a long time to do, towards the end of that goal, stuff just started spe speeding up because I had clarity. Like I had space to think and react and, and I had the energy to do so. So I wish more people would talk about how being in debt like that impacts your energy, impacts your how you feel about yourself impacts your ability to think. It just eventually there was a point where I just had a lot more clarity so that I could make financial maneuvers and take care of things um, in a lot more of a deliberate way. And and by the way, as, as I paid stuff off, I was also able to grow my income because I had the capacity to focus on that. So that was a weird experience. I quit my job by the way, in, in the midst of all this. So that was a little insane. Um, that's a whole different podcast, I feel like. But <laughs> um, so I, there were years where I was way under earning and I had to pay off the debt because I'd made that choice and that decision. Um, but, but again, I also ended up noticing that just capacity grew, like shot through the roof. So that was, that was a huge thing as well. You're so right that the personal finance space, it kind of over oversimplifies things, I think. So they say that you're in debt. The spreadsheet says this is how you should pay your debt off. This is what how it's infecting you, et cetera, et cetera. What you're saying is it's not really like that. There's all these emotions behind it. And it is so scary to get those calls and to get those texts and everything to get those other messages, mail, whatever it is, because those debt collectors will try to track you down however they can. And so there's a scary component to it. And so I think your method for paying off debt is as good as any, right? I'm going to pay off the ones that are easy. And I'm also going to pay off the ones that are scary. And I'm going to go from there. And then as you are getting better and better and getting back into this more healthy, happier mental health space, and that momentum happens, like you said, this financial momentum starts to occur obviously then your mental energy is going to be such that you can get a different job, like you said, or ask for those raises or learn those new skills. And so I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I think it's important for people. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about empathy. We don't know what someone is going through in their mind or on paper or anything truly. And everybody has their own journey, whether it's financial or otherwise. And I think 
it's awesome that you're willing to share how you were feeling in those moments. And I think it's important for people to know that there are people around them that are going through this. And right now is a very interesting time because again, we're recording during COVID and right now a lot of the stimulus activity is about to phase out like we're we've got all the stimulus money that's been uh sent into the economy and that's coming down in grants and just different types of uh, mm-hmm. financial programs and people were able to do different things if they were able to hold on to their jobs they, they were able to reallocate their money and deploy, I hate that I just used the word deploy. That's very American of me. Deploy <laughs> <laughs> deploy their income in a way that was different than before because we weren't really going out. We weren't doing all these things. And so one of the the concerns that I have as the stimulus phases out, like that money um, this year starts to leave the economy, is what's next, right? In Denver... Um, we are seeing a very alarming rise in unhoused uh, citizens. I've been to 45 states, by the way, before COVID. This is a thing in every state. So this is not like, oh my God, Denver. This is every state I've been to. And since I started traveling last summer, I started traveling again interstate. So I haven't been overseas. I've actually um, really seen the financial toll that COVID's taken on folks. And it's very scary. It's very scary to see. I have never in my life seen, uh, not in Denver for sure, I've never seen so many encampments. I've never seen so many people who who just seem hopeless. And um, my goal with what I do with my platform is to talk about how we can make change within the system that we're in. So there's a reason why I talk about ESG investing. Just because there's the an ESG investing, environmental, social, and governance, where we're we're investing in companies that, that do social good good. Um, there's a reason why I talk about policy so much because policy impacts what people can do. And so I spend a lot of time thoughtfully curating that content because I think that there are a lot of um, things impacting our money that that are out of our control unless we're aware of it. Absolutely. And I just want to take a quick pause and let people know that the stimulus, a, a lot of people think of the stimulus as the checks that the individual citizens got in the United States. But the stimulus, it went far beyond that, right? There's quantitative easing. There's other things that the government is doing with the supply of money. There's interest rates that the government is doing. And then there were, like Michelle said, a lot of other programs as well. There was unemployment. There was additional unemployment. The unemployment was extended to gig workers at different times. So overall stimulus, some people think, okay, that's been gone for a long time, but it's not just those stimulus checks. So I just want to point that out really quickly. And you're so, again, just so right and so on point, Michelle, that it's easy to think that because I did something some way, other people can do it that same way. And I think that's probably just a natural way that humans think. And I see this a lot. If I can do it, you can do it too. And I've never really been able to put my finger on why that bothers me. One is maybe it's like, well, 
maybe I have a different work ethic than you, right? So maybe you can't do it just because I did it, right? That's kind of like the egotistical way to think of it. But there's the other side of it is like, just because I did it, what does my socioeconomic or my demographic status, how did that affect what I was able to do that maybe you don't have? And I think that's something that is also not talked about enough in the personal finance space as well. Are there things that people can do that they can control? Absolutely. And I think people, for the most part, can take control of their lives in way that, ways that maybe they haven't in the past. But to think that everyone can do it the same way or that there's this easy multiple step process or whatever that's going to work for everybody, that's just not true. What, quite frankly, that is one of the most problematic phrases in personal finance for me. Me too. Well, because I did it, you can do it. No, I don't know why you did it. I don't know who helped you. I don't know what's going on in the back end of why you were able to have the success that you had. Likewise, I just because I've done a thing, again, I paid off a lot of money. And I, you know what I was left with? The idea that I understand why people wouldn't do what I did. <laughs> I mean, I completely understand why people are like, fuck this. Sorry for the F-bomb, but really. <laughs> fuck this. I don't want it. Like I sacrificed a lot. I lived in a way that a lot of people might not want to. I did a lot of things that a lot of people might not want to do. And I get it. And the, the idea that people don't get why people don't like, I live in a small place. It's in one of the best neighborhoods in Col in Denver. Like that's great, but not everyone wants to live in a 500 square foot fit place for as long as I did. Right. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I could have, I am fortunate. Like I could, I could sell my property today and pay off everything that I owe. Like I, I and have money left over. Like I, I, I am very, like I made a decision and I live in an awkward property and, and, and because I was able to keep it amazingly enough, I have opportunities as a result of that. But I 100% could have been living in one of the cute places around town with amenities, <laughs> you know, and not having to fix things and not having to deal with the shit that I've had to deal with because of my little property. Like the, not everyone wants to do what you did. Absolutely. And it just, it literally drives me crazy when people are like, well, I did it. You could do it. Maybe, maybe I want amenities and I'll pay higher rent. Instead of dealing with with some some rinky dink little property, well, yeah, and property. I love you, but I'm just saying. You know? <laughs> uh, well, I I get. I believe me. I understand that, and that's a thing. So my husband and I were were pretty close to being financially independent. I think technically we're probably already there, but it's because we made some really hard decisions a couple of years ago to not live in this beautiful place, to not live in this golf course community, to buy properties that needed work, to spend nights and weekends over the last two years working on this and working on real estate. And do I think everybody can do that? No. And should they? No. It's, it is a weird way to live. It is an interesting way to live. It happens to work for us. But I don't think everybody can just pick up and leave and pivot completely and try something totally different. The biggest reason, I think, in a lot of cases is children. I think once you have children, there's truly only there's only so much you can do because everything has to be about them and about them first. And we don't have kids. And I don't have kids. That's the thing. Like, I would love to have kids. But um, how I'm going to have kids is very like I... 
about five years ago, I'm like, you know, I love kids, but I want to raise them in a certain way. Like there's just certain things I was thinking. And so um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, could I have had kids when I was 20? Yes. And, and I wouldn't have been able to afford them. <laughs> um, but I would probably have like, you know, like we all make our choices and ultimately you have to stand by the choice good or bad. I want to go back, Michelle, to something that you said a couple of times, and that is under earning. Can you describe that more for us? For women in particular, of all colors, we earn less than white men. This is just a statistic. It is what it is. If someone emails Lauren to try to like discuss that, we're we're ignoring the email. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so there's under earning and not being aware that you're under earning. And then there's under earning because of the type of work that you're going into. There's under earning because there are gatekeepers who don't help you in the negotiation process. So recently on social media, there was a woman named Mercedes who hired for a role. I will never forget this because it's so shitty. She hired for a role and she was like, yeah, the person, the candidate, came back with $85,000 for the role. And I, and I didn't say anything, even though we had allocated like 120,000 towards the, towards that role. And my, and I didn't say anything because I felt like this was something that they should learn. And I'm like, how are they supposed to learn about the fact that they underbid if you don't say anything? Like they have no idea that almost $40,000 was left on a table because you're an asshole and you didn't say anything or help them. So I've hired people before and I would never do something like that to someone. Like I would be like, um, that's actually, that's a little low for the, the position. Maybe you could counter offer. And there are stories of people in positions, hiring positions in HR who've done that for folks. So there's a lot of ways that under earning can show up in your life. It could be in the fact that you apply, you actively are applying for work that is way underpaid for the skills that you have because of mindset. So, so under earning happens in a lot of different ways. In the entrepreneurial space, it could just be that you're building up your business. And so you're under earning because it takes a while to create profit within your business. So under earning shows up in so many different ways that it's really specific to the situation that you're currently in. Um, But regardless of how it shows up, hopefully it doesn't show up in your life in that way. The goal is to be mindful around how much should you be earning how much more than what your expenses are should you be earning? I think you're in the uh, fire space. So a lot of folks in fire, financial independence, retire early, are very focused about earning as much as possible in as little time as possible. This was not a conversation that people had with most of Gen X. Hmm. And one of the things I do want to point out is social media and the internet and technology has been a gift to a lot of communities that have been underserved in financial spaces and financial conversations because it normalizes having the conversation around, hey, maybe you should use this same skill set and apply it in a different industry and build in a $40,000 
wage increase versus the bullshit 2.7% raise that your old job wants to give you. And that's the importance of having financial conversations, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a reason why I podcast. There's a reason why I do this, because I know that people can multitask and hear this information and these new ways of thinking, and they can they can clean and listen to us. They can they can nurse their baby and listen to us and and have their mind expanded, have discernment around what we're saying. So do your own research, see what's appropriate for your own financial situation. But if there's anything that we leave this conversation with is that you are more that you are um, allowed to want to earn more and more isn't 2.7 percent raises. Absolutely. So that covers some of what I wanted to talk about. The other thing was shame. And that can be a very, very broad topic, especially when it relates to money. But there's also the idea in the personal finance space of shaming others. And I just was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your observations and how we can all do better. Woo. Uh, (laughs) It is very interesting to me how much time some personal finance content creators spend shaming others. We are not paying other people's mortgages. We're not paying their car notes. We're not paying for their clothes. We're not paying for their kids' diapers. We're not paying for, for uh, infamil. We're not paying for their trips. And so if we have an opinion about what we feel is a bad financial move that other people are making, that's one thing. Like, of course, I have opinions about what people do with their money. Um, so I definitely, I'm not virtual virtue signaling out there. I 100% have opinions about the financial moves that people make, but I am not, uh, paying their bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like either they're going to learn from their mistakes and make adjustments, or maybe they don't feel it's a mistake. Who, who am I to say what someone else does with their money is a mistake. It's only, it's up to them to make that determination and that decision. So again, I mentioned I have a property. I could have sold my property and just paid all my stuff off. I could have just kept it easy. Now I could have done that, but then the end result would have been the money that I received from the sale would have been eaten up in rental right. costs. You still right? live somewhere. Yeah, I have to live somewhere and Denver's not cheap. Like the the one bedroom, it's like $2,000 starting. Yeah. And I like amenities. <laughs> and so and so this is like a basic one bedroom is about $2,000 here. So, yeah, I could have sold my property, but then and I could have and I would have been debt free, but I still would have had to pay $2,000 a month in rent. Mm-hmm. So, like you never know what is the what's impacting why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. So I, um, when I was really deep in debt repayment, I took vacations, right? I paid cash for the vacations. That was cash that could have been applied to my debt. But I was like, this is going to take me years to do. I just knew it. I was like, this is, this is emotional for me. This is tiring. I quit my job. Like, this is going to take years. I just made my peace with that. And I knew that 
I was never going to stick to the goal of repaying it if I didn't have some rewards built into the process. Now, what that meant was I would, um, I stay at a bougie, I, to this day, I still stay at a bougie hostel. Um, but <laughs> now I've actually added uh, stays at, I've, I've, I still stay at my one, there's a favorite bougie hostel here that I, I love to stay at. I've shared pictures of this place and people are like, that's not a hostel. I'm like, it is a hostel. <laughs> I, I now have a membership to a uh, community called Gravity House that has like hotel facilities across Colorado and in California, very bougie, but it's taken a while to add, like to be comfortable to do that. So last week I was in the mountains for basically in the entire week. And one day I stayed at the bougie hostel because I like the vibe, I like the people, it's really fun. And then I moved into the Gravity House space that I pay a membership to. So I have a monthly membership fee that I pay, but I get 50% off if I stay in that space at the beginning of the week. Uh, so very bougie, cute hotel. And then I actually, last week was a little weird. I stayed at another facility that is a hybrid hybrid hotel hostel, similar to the first one, but I stayed in my own room. So in the beginning of paying off my debt, I, I wouldn't have necessarily stayed in my own room. I would have just shared a room, we're good. And now I'm phasing into, uh, sometimes I'll share a room, but I have my own room as well. So it just, there are a lot of people who'd be like, well, why are you taking, why are you taking vacations? Because I'm freaking tired. Dang, people, mm -hmm. life is short. I could have, God forbid, I could have died of COVID. And I would have been like, well, on my epitaph, <laughs> on my tombstone, well, she paid off that debt, never took never took vacations. Right, <laughs> right. And, like, and, come on. <laughs> well, I like your example too. Like you could have paid off, you could have sold your house and had no debt. And in yeah. some circles, having no debt, like that's it. That That's the goal, right? Having yeah. no debt. Like on the face of it, that sounds like a good thing. But if you don't dive down under the hood a little bit and understand your particular financial situation, you can't really understand how detrimental of a decision that would end up actually being, right? And that's there's always a story going on. And I'm, I'm so guilty of this. Um, and I think it comes from, you know, like I'll see somebody buy a brand new car with a, what I just know is a huge payment, just huge payment. And I am guilty of this and I'm guilty of making these judgments myself and I, I like to think, and maybe I'm just convincing myself of this, that it comes from a place of, I want that for you, but I want you to know the impacts of that decision that you're making, right? But it's really not even for me to even think that far. It's very paternalistic, right? right. I'm, not, I'm not your parent. And, and so this is a good example. I, uh, I care about the earth. I am very worried about the earth. I currently am a member of a car share. I love this car share program. It's specific to Colorado. It's a nonprofit. I pay 13 bucks a month and then I pay for the use of the car and gas when I use the car. So in a month, maybe like depends on the month. There's some months I literally only pay 13 bucks because I don't use the car. And there are other months when I do road trips around the state maybe I spend 500 bucks. So in a year, I'm, I'm probably spending a thousand, if, if even like, I can't even imagine maybe a thousand dollars on transportation. And that that's if I've done a lot of road trips. 
I could absolutely say to people, why are you spending like $500? I don't even know how much a Tesla payment is, but why are you spending so much on that Tesla? Why aren't you investing that? Because, you know, like over time you can invest that, blah, 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 blah. But, but <laughs> and I mean, 8% interest in 30 years. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> am, am I even doing what I'm saying to other people? So the other, the flip side to this is we could judge what people are doing, but are we, are we doing the things that we're judging people for and are people and and how do we know that they aren't investing at a uh, at a healthy rate how do we know that they don't have a company match like how do we did we ask them questions or are we making assumptions because we just see one thing Mm -hmm. now it's one thing if we if if it's a family that's coming to me and asking me for money like that's a dip that shifts the conversation a little bit but but if they're not coming to me borrowing trying to borrow money let let people do what they're gonna they're gonna do either they're gonna make a decision that hey this isn't working for me or they aren't and ultimately i can't all i can do is record my podcast episodes and share different thoughts out there in the world and people are going to do what they're going to do do i think people are making weird financial moves or bad financial moves i'm like what is what why are you doing that of course but I am not paying their bills. Again, I'm not paying their bills. And so um, I don't have the right to inject myself into their finances unless they, for some reason, invite me into their finances. Um, One area we were, this is not on your list of things that we were going to talk about, but I'm thinking about this as we, we discuss this. Crypto is a really interesting thing for me to observe the enthusiasm <laughs> and irrational exuberance around it. So I'm of the belief that we are in the infancy of crypto. And quite honestly, 20 years from now, we'll be in the infancy of crypto. So in my view, I believe that we could spend 20 years researching it, not invest, and then 20 years from now, begin investing because we have information, we researched it, that kind of thing. There are other people who would say to me, get in now because it's the infancy and and all the gains that you could realize and blah, blah, blah. And so um, I watch people take really aggressive actions when they could be doing something very carefully. Um, so in my case, I actually am like, huh, let's only use my coffee money, like money that I literally would spend on coffee. And that's all I can allocate to this. Cause if I lose that money, I would have just drank it up in coffee anyway. <laughs> and there you go. Um, I've actually gotten a debit card that pays a debit card that pays back rewards in crypto <laughs> so that I can earn more back when I pr- literally, when I purchase, co- so it's my coffee debit card and then I can earn money back in crypto. So that's my, like my very, very careful dabbling in that space because I don't want to be investing a whole bunch of money that I, I can't lose. Um, likewise, someone's Tesla card payment is, is their like, that's their thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know- so who knows what people's thing is, but ultimately they have to make the mistake or the decision or the choice around what they're going to do. I'm not paying their bills. Right. I'm sure people look at me 
and they think, why would you invest that much in real estate? That's active. That's not passive. They need to, mm-hmm. they need to invest more in passive income, right? And so you make a good point where why should I judge someone? Because what I'm doing may not be right for them. Maybe it's right for me. Maybe it's not right for me. Who knows, right? But I'm doing what I'm doing and they shouldn't judge me. And then I also shouldn't judge them or anyone else. And people in crypto, they I posted something a while back about, you know, if I was just starting out, here's what I would do, right? And like, it was like a one to 2% crypto allocation. And there were so many people like dead on except more crypto, you know what I mean? So they think they think I'm not I'm not doing the right thing. So, you know, who is it for me to do that? Now, I hope that I'm not publicly or openly shaming anybody. I will need to watch it more in the future because I have made some of those posts in the past where, oh, a friend got they got two new cars this week, you know, can't be a good move, but who knows? I don't know. I'm pretty sure I, I know, I mean, but, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe they got the new car because, and I don't know who these people are. Like maybe they have kids and they're like, you know what? I need a new car because my most precious cargo is in the car. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I never um, break down on the highway when I'm driving the kids. So right. when I use the car share, it's really funny. I, I had, uh, not funny, haha, but like, I accidentally sideswiped a car on December 23rd. Mm. Very ups- very upsetting. Um, a parked car at slow motion. It's a dumb story. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but what was interesting is because of that sideswipe, I will never buy the car that I was driving because I was like, this thing crumpled up like a piece of paper. Um, it was shocking to me. So, so I can understand why people will pay good money for a better car because I was just like this thing, I cannot believe at 10 miles an hour, this is the damage that happened to this car. Wow. Especially the safety features now, right? That yeah. car, you could have been driving a car that wouldn't even let you yeah. get out of the lane and hit somebody, right? Yeah, so. I know. It was the dumbest story because I was in a residential area this was a part car and I looked down and just all of a sudden hit, uh, it's so dumb, but because I was in the car share, I'm in that car share share program. I'm fortunate because they dealt with everything. So I didn't have to deal with anything. Right. Right. And some people would think, I can't believe she doesn't have her own car. How can you not have your own car? Yeah. So, but but I live, I live by, but then there's more, I live by three light, light rail stations. Um, and so actually it's interesting because where you live can impact how you decide to do what you do and, and where you live, live, meaning not literally just where you live, but like the people that you surround yourself with. So a lot of people here are like, cool. Like I totally get what you're doing. Like no one ever says anything. As long as I have access to a vehicle to go to the mountains, they're just like, whatever. Um, in other places, People definitely don't understand why I do what I do. Right. So, and you can never. And that's and that's the point, right? You need to have empathy. You don't know what someone's going through. And you absolutely should not be shaming people for 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 really for really anything. And I need to do a better job of that. And I just want people to know, and for the most part, I'm definitely hitting that stage where people around me know what I do. They know that I am in the personal finance space. They know if they have a question, I am here for it. And that's really as far as I can take it. I just don't have the capacity to manage other people and what they do. (laughs) Um, I mean, really, like I don't, 
yes, I'm in the personal finance space. No, I don't have capacity to, to, to care, care about what you do with your money in, in such a way that I'm injecting myself in your money decisions. I just don't have that. I'm just, I don't have the time for that. Yeah. And if you do, maybe we should get a different hobby. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Michelle, what are you working on now? What is, what's going on and what do you have planned oh. for the future? So I've eased into 2022. Uh, we're in February as we record this, and I'm, I'm happy that I've, I've decided to slowly get into this year. In terms of what I'm working on, I am working on releasing my first not uh, personal finance book called Not a Financial Unicorn, which is a financial motivation book for those of us, the other 95% of us who have unsexy financial stories, but are valid and worthwhile stories. So my goal with this book is to really talk about the fact that even if your financial story is unsexy, that it's so worthwhile. So yeah, it took seven and a half, eight years to pay off the freaking unsecured debt. (laughs) That's not a sexy story, but the impact and change to my life is sexy. And I want for people who are like, I'm preparing to buy a house, but it's taken a lot longer than I thought it would keep working on it. If you're, if you are a Gen Xer, who's like, I didn't retire at 32. Well, no, most people don't. don't. Okay. Like this whole thing, like I love fire, but I think that what people forget, even though it's a concept that's been around since Walden, to be honest, technology really drives awareness about certain uh, financial move moves and movements and being able to fire at 32 when the internet just started, you know, Al Gore's internet isn't that old. <laughs> and so being aware of this as a thing to do isn't, isn't that is, isn't that old. So for people who are like, I'm 47 and, and I've just done the best I could. It's fine. You're fine. You're fine. It's okay. So I just want people to read this book and feel good about what they're doing and feel validated and feel encouraged about the financial moves that they're making because they are making a difference. They are impactful and it's worthwhile, but that messaging isn't shared often enough in media today because the sexy stories sell. That's incredible and so well said. And congrats on writing a book. It's not, I'm, I'm sure it's not an easy thing to do. I don't speak from experience, but that's amazing. It's It's been interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited about it. We'll, we'll see if it's helpful to others. Uh, that's my goal. And other than that, just growing my online brand. One of the things that I did was I really decided to take out any kind of online business building content, um, brand building, that kind of thing. I pulled it off of the Michelle is money hungry platform because I wanted to make sure that with that personal finance content, even though that the, that brand is monetized, but I didn't want to muddy the conversation. So I, I feel like in personal finance space, a lot of people, um, start making money online. Like if they stay online for a while, there's a point where you start monetizing your brand. And I wanted to continue having money conversations. So I did build out a new brand called the Brand Building Lab, where I just talk about building an online brand. 
and and building a, a, an authentic brand to what your personal beliefs and mission is out uh, in terms of service to the world. I'm liberal, so I'm just letting you know that that, <laughs> do, that does impact how that brand is built. But the reason why I did that was so that I could just talk about what I wanted to talk about on Michelle's Money Hungry and not have it be negatively impacted by financial goals around building that website or podcast or what have you. So that actually has been a pain in the ass to do, but a really good thing that I've done um, as a long-term goal. So definitely if you're looking to grow an impactful brand, I do talk about that, but just on a different, different platform. So. Is there anything else you want to add, Michelle, before we wrap up? I want for people to to feel good about just making choices that will better your finances and to own the choices that you make and not worry about what other people say. The only people you have to worry about are the people who are paying your bills. If if we're not paying your bills, just just keep on stepping, keep on moving, don't worry about it. Like so when when if you're an online content creator, you're getting trolls or things like that. Are they paying? The first question you ask yourself is, are you paying my bills? If you if you tweet about something, you're not an online content creator. You're just tweeting about something. Are, are you paying my bills? Like leave with that. Um, and then finally, just any anything that you're doing with the goal of bettering your finances just focus on that and keep on moving. And sometimes you might get distracted or something will come up. That's just part of the process. That's just part of life and making those adjustments when things derail you. That's again, that's just part of, of life and how it works and just um, give yourself some grace. I think that would be the last thing. Just give yourself some grace as you go through life and, and navigate what we're dealing with right now. There's a lot going on. It's very tiring. People are nuts. Um, <laughs> but there's also a lot of really amazing folks out there doing really good work who really care about you and yours. And so I, I want people to, to be aware of that as well. Thank you. Managing money is a huge part of adulting. However, it is important to remember that not everyone wants what you want or thinks how you think. Personal finance is personal. So Michelle, we've danced around this question, but why don't you tell people how to get in touch with you? Um, the easiest way to get in touch with me, there are two, two ways. Uh, you can follow three. You can follow me on michelleismoneyhungry.com. I post all of my podcast episodes on that website. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. I love Twitter. It's hilarious. <laughs> at Mitch Loves Money, and it's M-I-C-H Loves Money. And then you can go to michelleismoneyhungry.com backslash business card. Go to that link and you can connect with me as well there. Perfect. Everyone, you can follow me on Twitter. Also very active. Also love it. At Adulting is Easy. I'm also on Facebook. You can email me at realadultingiseasy at gmail.com. You can show support at patreon.com slash adulting is easy. Also, don't forget to join the Wealth Wednesday Twitter spaces. They are at nine o'clock Eastern. We've covered topics like getting it started in real estate, tokenized real estate, crypto, quitting your nine to five, increasing your income, and so much more. 
Thanks again for listening. Hopefully Michelle and I have made adulting a little easier for you.